BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I am very excited for today's episode with Whitney Goodman. I've been following her on Instagram for a while and looking at all of the things that she posts. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And she has a book that's out now about toxic positivity. So I highly recommend that you check it out. We're going to put the link in the episode notes. So definitely check it out. If it's a term you're like, what is that? I don't believe that that's a thing. Then you should definitely read it and also listen to this episode today. Before we get into it, I'm going to talk a little bit about my trip that I just got back from. I literally actually just got back like two hours ago and I'm recording this the night that I landed because... I don't like being late for submitting my episodes to Marshall. Hey, Marshall, how's it going? So I'm first going to talk about the trip a little bit and a few things that you asked me to talk about, but I want to save a lot of it for the solo bonus episode that we're releasing on Thursday, which is going to be a lot about double dates and other couples and relationships with like you as a couple and another couple and just that whole dynamic and rules around it because I think it's fascinating and I've had so many experiences for firsthand with it recently and just have a lot to say on the matter. Oh, and quickly before I get into my trip and any questions, just want to remind you guys that we have so many amazing events coming up. We have a show in SF, a show in LA, and a show in Austin, as well as We Met at Camp coming right around the corner, which I'm so excited for. So if you're looking for tickets for any of these things, just go to wemetatacme.com. It's under events. And I hope to see you all there. I actually am so dumb and I messed up the dates. I thought SF was on... Sunday and LA was on Saturday. So I had to rebook all my hotels, but LA is September 10th and SF will be September 11th. So, oh wait, no, did I mess it up again? Yeah, I messed it up again. LA is September 11th and SF is September 10th. See, like this is why, I mean, what's my deal, you know? Anyway, I hope to see you guys there. And the trip, it was so much fun before we went. So we went to Paris and then we went to St. Raphael, which is 
It's like San Rafael and it's in the south of France, which is so fucking beautiful. Before we went to Paris, everyone was like, it's going to be so hot. You're going to wish you were dead and no one's going to be there because no one is in Paris in the summer. Everyone goes to the south. And we were like, okay, like it'll be fine. Thank you. And we went and I have never been hotter in my life. I thought New York City was hot. Paris in the summer, I was actually dying. We couldn't walk like more than a few feet in the tourist like attractions without actually like running to the shade and just breathing very heavily. But it was so lovely. It was truly worth it. Like I didn't care how hot I was, how many times we had to shower. It was so beautiful. The food was amazing. I just like recently started eating like an adult. I, ugh, my contact just fell out like as I was talking to you guys. I don't know why that happens, but I just started eating like an adult. I'm not even kidding. I, I never ate, you know, salads or anything nutritious, which is why I have this don't expect salads Instagram. And I started to do that. So this trip to Paris was filled with me trying all different things. Like I love escargot and I'm really willing to try anything that's in front of me. Like I used to take things out of salad or like out of dishes and, you know, be like, oh, I can't eat capers, whatever random thing it is. But now I just eat everything and it's so great. I mean, it's not not that great for my stomach, but it's so great because I get to enjoy everything the way it was intended to be eaten, which is a beautiful thing, especially in a place like France where the waiters don't really like you because you're American anyway. So if you make changes, then they'll probably spit in your food. Also, Stephen and I had a very important new development on this trip, which is that I finally convinced him to help me pop my pimples. Like trigger warning, if this is disgusting to you, skip ahead. But I have spoken about how I got, you know, like acne since going off the pill. And it's tough. And you can't just like leave this, these like gross, like pus filled, you know how it is on your face. You have to pop them, whether it's in a facial or take matters into your own hands, which I, which I don't suggest doing. Like if I do that, then my face ends up having scars. But Steven is weirdly really good at popping pimples. Like it's a weird thing that he does like on himself. So I was like, will you please, it's, it all started with like a little one. I was like, I can't get it myself. It was like on the, on the jawline, you know, it's hard to get those. And I was like, can you just like get it? Like I know it's ready and he got it and he got it so well and so efficiently. And he was like, wow, like that one really like came out. And I was so like rejuvenized by him popping the pimple and getting it that I was like, will you do another? And he was like, no, no, no. And I was like, please. And then just became a thing. Like I, he's, he's stuck now doing this because he was so good at it. And he's like, I really don't want to do this. Like, I don't want this to be a thing. And I was like, it's too bad. It's, it's a thing, you know? Also, I don't know if you've taken a vacation with a significant other before, or you are currently or plan to, But it's so interesting. The more trips I take with my husband, the more our styles just like come out a little bit. And we luckily are on the same page. We're not trying to like go out when we're on trips. We're not 
trying to really do much more than have dinner and like walk around, which is great because I've dated people in the past who wanted to like go to the club in like St. Tropez or wherever we were. They wanted to like go to the party after. And it's not fun because you're just a couple. Like you're not teenagers like on a school trip or like a big group if you're just a couple you don't you shouldn't be chasing the party like that, at least for me that was something that I wasn't into especially you know cuz I'm sober but really because if I liked my partner enough like that's all I needed is that dinner with them and to go back to bed and cuddle and you know have sex and whatever so luckily we're on the same page about that but we definitely have different views around vacation friends. And this is going to seep into my bonus episode, which I will save the rest of this for. But I am very much... I want to make vacation friends. That's just something that I've always wanted. And also, I'm just really open to new friendships. Not that I'm upset about my current friendships, but I'm just open. I I know that my parents have friends from all walks of life. Some of them are vacation friends who became real life friends. And maybe part of me is just chasing that vacation friend desire. But Steven is very much like no new friends. He'll be nice, of course, and cordial and whatnot. But he doesn't want to go out of his way to like have dinner, let's say, with a new couple when we can just have dinner, the two of us. And so in that way, we differ on our vacation styles, you know? But it's it's a smaller thing. It's not the same thing as like if one of us wanted to go out and one of us didn't, but he'd prefer if we didn't talk to anybody. And I am social butterfly at hotels. And the hotel that we were at was kind of had a white lotus vibe in that it was the same staff for dinner every night. It was the same hotel guests and you got to know each other, which was really, really nice. And... I'll continue with that on the bonus episode because we did make some great friends. And I think Steven regretted being so closed off at first, except no one knew that he was closed off, obviously, only me. But I just, I want to, I want to be friends like all the time with everybody. I want to know everyone's story. I want to know everyone's family drama. Like that's just my vibe. I love it. And I love making new friends, especially when they're interesting, which a lot of people are. And then some people aren't, but a lot of people are. And I actually invited two different couples that we met on this trip to my shows because one lives in SF and one lives in LA. So hopefully they come. Maybe I'll pull them up on stage and be like, these are my new vacation friends. Um, Somebody said, it's the first time with my new boyfriend how to talk about not being able to finish. It rarely happens and I don't want to fake it. Okay, this is so important to address because... You never, first of all, have to fake it. You never, never have to fake it. And second of all, it's very common for women to not be able to finish or for it to rarely happen. And most guys know that unless they've been with girls who have been lying about their orgasms for years and years and years. I have personally never faked an orgasm in my life. And that's not because I'm like, oh, I'm so privileged. I get to come all the time. It's just that if I don't come, I don't fake it because I'm not going to blow smoke up someone's ass, especially a guy's ass, and let him think that like he's God's gift for making me come in five seconds when that's not the case. I think that guys have to work for it and they want to work for it. That's the thing. If you say to them, like I remember 
I have never really, I don't think I've ever had an orgasm from someone going down on me. That's just a fact. I do from sex, but not from someone going down on me. So I said that to like someone that I dated in the past and they took it as a challenge. Like they really tried to make it happen. So I think it's so important to be vocal with your significant other or whoever you're hooking up with about your orgasm situation. Because if they're someone who cares about you or someone that at least wants to get you off, they're going to try to do that. I also had someone submit a question being like, my boyfriend makes me feel bad because it takes me 20 minutes to come. He says like, that's not normal. Is it normal? And so I did a poll question for her and it's first of all, so normal. And it makes me so sad because I dated someone in the past who made me feel bad about how long it took me to come. Like it can take me like 20 minutes. Sometimes it takes me 30 minutes. Sometimes it takes me 10 minutes, but it can take a long time. And he would make me feel so bad about it. And then afterwards he would be like, if if I didn't, because I was just like, okay, forget it. Like turn me around and like you come, you know, he, he would be like, well, I just like, it's like, basically saying that like me taking so long to come is like making him not be able to stay hard. And like, that's such a red flag. That is such a red flag because the guy that's for you that cares about you, first of all, it will turn him on to see you continuing to get turned on and eventually come. And he will have all the patience in the world for you to have an orgasm. Like Steven has all the patience in the world. He's never like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Come on. Because then it would never happen, first of all. And second of all, because he wants me to come no matter how long it takes. He's not thinking, like waiting for him to have his moment. It's She Comes First. There's a book called She Comes First. Buy it. Give it to your man if he's giving you an issue. Lastly, another thing that I didn't just discover because I've known this for a while, but it comes to fruition when, or it comes up when Stephen and I are on trips like this because we have tons of dinners, just the two of us talking. And I literally get off on and always want to hear about Stephen's past. And he doesn't feel the same about mine, which is very typical for men and women. I mean, it's I'm not typical. I think most people don't want to hear about their partner's past sexual stuff at all, but I really, really do. And so from time to time when we're at a dinner and the conversation is a lull, I will beg him to tell me a story about someone that he hooked up with in the past, some like vacation he went on and took a girl home and blah, blah, blah. And I tease him about it in like a very cute way. And we have our shtick about it. But I, it just really gets me going. It just really gets me going. And it's so funny because, you know, we, we all grew up with parents, whether they were together or not. And they have some kind of like back and forth usually about like their exes. And I remember my mom had a guy that she dated for like four years before my dad. And she would talk about him like when we were growing up being like, oh, it could have been, you know, so-and-so. It could have been so-and-so. And like who knows, you know, what my dad's like real reaction to that was. But now I just totally get it because it's like all you have when you're married is, you know, those people in your past to like keep talking about or circulating and whatnot. So if you're someone who was like the last person that someone who got married slept with, 
then you definitely come up in their marriage often. So you should feel good about that because I feel good about that. I'm like, I was a good luck Chuck for so long. I was the last person that people were with before they got married. So I feel like a lot of, I like to think that a lot of people have that like conversation about me the way that I try to get out of Steven, like the last person he had sex with or the last person, you know, the, the past exes and whatnot. I just, I find it so interesting and I never get jealous because it's not about jealousy, obviously, because we're married, but it just, it really gets me going to like think about this life and like how he was before me. It's just such a turn on and I'm curious what you guys think. So DM me if you feel the same or if you feel totally different. Some people, it's it's very polarizing. Anyway, enough about my nonsense. I would love for you to listen to Whitney, who is an actual professional, and let me know what you think of everything that she has to say and stay tuned for the solo episode on Thursday. In hot August weather like this, the only place I want to be sometimes is my air-conditioned bed. And spending a lot of time inside because I work from home, I really want to have a place that's a sanctuary for me. That's why I work with Article, which is a brand that sponsors the podcast and has for a while and has been such an amazing partner to work with because I actually really, really love their stuff. It is so beautiful and they combine the curation of a boutique furniture store with the comfort and simplicity of shopping online. They have a team of designers at Article that focus on beautifully crafted pieces, quality materials, and durable construction. It's like a modern aesthetic of mid-century Scandinavian industrial and bohemian designs all merged in one. It's really amazing. They've got fast shipping that's available across the USA and Canada and is free on orders over $999. All of their in-stock items are delivered in two weeks or less. So you don't have to be waiting and harassing them over email because you're getting your stuff exactly when they say that you will. You also save up to 30% off traditional retail prices. So check it out by going to article.com slash Acme. Article is offering our listeners $50 off your purchase of $100 or more. To claim, visit article.com slash Acme and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's A-R-T-I-C-L-E dot com slash Acme for $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. I just walked off a plane into a sweat box that is New York City, 96 degrees today, 96 degrees today. And when you are flying in general without even landing in that kind of weather, you get so dehydrated. There's so much salt that you're eating on the plane and like you bland and you're just like, ugh, my lips are shriveled and it is so hot and all I need is to drink a shit ton of water. And that's why liquid IV is the best situation and the best thing to have with you at all times. You just pour a little bit of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water and it hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. And that's because it contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. It has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. So it's also probably good for hangovers and things like that. 
It's so incredible. I remember when I first had it at my apartment before I was using it and my brother-in-law came over and he was like, wait, how do you have so much liquid IV? And I was like, oh, I'm working with them. And he was like, you are the luckiest person in the world. It is the best. Everyone in my office is obsessed with it. We actually had it in our welcome bags for our wedding because we wanted people to hydrate after the wedding. It is so incredible. You can grab your liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 15% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ACME at checkout. That's 15 off anything you order when you shop better hydration today using promo code ACME at liquidiv.com. What's the vibes? I'm EJ, head of special projects at DBA, and this is Who's On Content, a show that explores and dissects the influential, behavioral-altering power of content through thought-provoking, culturally relevant, and industry-shifting dialogues. We're chatting with social media platform leaders, marketers, journalists, and content creators contributing to the content shaping the global society we live in. I mean, folks, let's face it. Content is everywhere. It's visual. It's audible. Hell, it's even edible. Go with me for a second. The content of your favorite restaurant informs the content of your Yelp review. <laughs> See what we did there? Tune in to hear who's on content. Hey guys, welcome back to We Met at Acme. I'm so excited to be here with licensed marriage and family therapist, Whitney Goodman. Hey, Whitney. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. I've been looking at your Instagram for years now and getting so much from it. And I know that it also helps so many people. So thank you for that. Thank Um, you. Before we get started, Whitney, how old are you and where are you from? I am 31, turning 32 on Monday. And yeah, and I am from St. Petersburg, Florida. Nice. Well, happy almost birthday. I didn't realize we were the same age. I now feel like maybe I should be as wise as you are, but... (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I love it. I love it. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you choose to become a therapist? I've always been into learning about people, their stories, been fascinated by that. And I went straight into grad school out of college because I had a degree in sociology and gender studies that I could do nothing with. (laughs) I became a therapist and it's really like been my only career. And I'm very fortunate that I ended up in the place I wanted to be. That's awesome. And what is your current relationship status? I am married. I've been married for four and a half years. Very cool. And how did you guys meet? We met through a friend that I actually went on semester at sea with. It's like an abroad thing in college. Yeah. She ended up moving to Miami and knew my husband from college and like invited me to his apartment for a pregame or something. And we met there when I was like just turning 23. Love it. Wow. And so you guys were together for a while before you got married. Yeah, we got, we were together about three years and then we got engaged, had like a 10 month engagement and got married. Awesome. And so you're a Leo or I am. Okay. And when is, (laughs) what's his birthday? He is a Scorpio. I believe he's November 21st. Yeah. He's a Scorpio. He's like cusping a little bit with Sag, but he's a Scorpio. I love that. Do you feel, cause Leo and Scorpio are like two very powerful signs. Do you feel like you're both kind of like your own entities in a way? 
for sure. I would say I have a very independent marriage, um, especially because we both work and have careers. Like it's a kind of, I, I feel very much like equals in, in the relationship, which is good. Mm-hmm. And where do you guys live now? We actually just moved from Miami to St. Pete, where I'm from. We moved here about six months ago. Awesome. Love that. Love that. So there's a ton of stuff that we're going to talk about today. So I guess we should get right into it. The first thing, which is the reason that we kind of got connected in the first place, which is a quite a phenomenon that's going on right now, is toxic positivity. So somebody asked specifically, what does toxic positivity look like in dating and relationships? So in dating and relationships, when someone's being toxically positive, it's almost like they're dismissing your experience and telling you that everything's going to be fine, not to worry about it, just to look on the bright side when you're clearly distressed about what's going on and trying to share that with them. Mm -hmm. So what's an example of a friend being toxically positive to you when you, let's say, have had a bad date or experience and you're like, oh, I'm so done with dating? The ones that we hear the most are like, everything happens for a reason. No one will love you until you love yourself. Like, just enjoy being single. I I would kill to have that freedom. Or even just saying like, you're going to find the one, like just keep trying, keep a positive attitude in response to that person who's really just like looking to complain or to have a space to vent. Mm -hmm. It's it's so interesting because I feel like I give a lot of that response often with my listeners because I don't know if they're necessarily coming to vent as opposed to coming to like get that positivity. But if a girlfriend of mine was like complaining and I could tell that she wanted me to like hold space for the actual issues that she's having, then that would be different. I feel like it's it's easier to be or like it's harder to be real with people you don't know as well. Does that make sense? Like for sure. And so I feel like I am almost doing the right thing by saying like, I'm not worried. Like it'll happen for you because like also is kind of how I feel. Like I was worried at 29, I was single and it worked out. And so maybe that's just like me saying like, it worked out for me. Like, I'm sure it's going to work out for you. But it's like, when do you know if you're like being too positive? I think you're making a like an important distinction here that when you're on a podcast or, you know, strangers are coming to listen to you, they know what they're coming there for. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time it might be because they want positivity. They want inspiration. They want to be encouraged. And so there might be times where they're like, I'm not going to listen to this right now because I'm not in that space to hear that. Versus when you're going to a friend and you're complaining and venting, it can feel like, hey, you're not really listening to me. Mm-hmm. And that's the tricky thing about like this whole toxic positivity concept is that it's so nuanced and really in like the eye of the beholder that I want it to just be used to encourage us to talk about what we need and to ask for what we need instead of making people necessarily guess or try to figure it out and then offend us in some way. Right. That's so important because I feel like it only becomes toxic once somebody says, no, I don't want to hear that right now. I like really am just like fed up and I want you to just hear me that I'm fed up. 
Then at that point, if the person continues and they're like, it'll be fine, blah, blah, blah. That's when it becomes toxic. Whereas before it's harmless until you realize what the person needs. And then if you don't adhere to that, then it becomes toxic. A hundred percent. And that's when I think people say things like, I was just trying to be nice. I was just trying to be supportive. And it's like, no, the other person's telling you, hey, this isn't what I'm looking for and it's not helpful. And if we listen in that moment, it can be so powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Somebody asked, how do I curb slash stop intrusive thoughts about what could have been in a relationship? It's such a tough one. I think so many of us do this. And I put up a post about this the other day where like you get out of a relationship and it's not good. Mm-hmm. or you weren't happy in it. And then now all you're having is like positive thoughts about the relationship and you're romanticizing it. And that's a moment to be like, okay, there's no way this is possible, that everything's all good, that it could have been great. And I think this is where like reality testing comes in of being like, what was it actually like? How did I really feel in that relationship? And also like what could have been doesn't really matter because it's not that anymore. And I have to look at what is instead of what like I could dream up. We're all capable of like fantasizing about something and creating a story that isn't real. Yeah. I know for a fact that whenever a relationship that I was in ended, I could only focus on the positive. And it's like our mind does this trick. And so what helped me a lot was making a list of the things that didn't work in the relationship so that every time my mind would play a trick on me and say, oh no, like you really miss them. You had all this special bond or you had this. Then I would just look at that list and be like, oh, right. Like there wasn't a sexual connection that they weren't nice to my parents, like whatever it is, you know, and kind of bring myself back to reality. But that is such a real thing. So I guess just like making that list will help. And then just realizing that like, there's a reason that you guys ended in the first place, really. Absolutely. I love that strategy of like making a list and, and even just keeping that on your phone or something. So whenever you're going to that place, you can just bring yourself back to that. Yeah, totally. Or even like if you don't have a list, Like, ask that honest friend of yours, like, wait, why did I break up with Brad again? (laughs) And then they'll be like, because he sucked and he did this and he did that. Somebody asked, how do you know when you're ready to move forward? Like, determining whether it's a rebound versus a real thing that you're ready for. Some signs that I notice when somebody isn't ready is that they're trying to move really quickly and maybe get back to a place where they were in a past relationship or like trying to get it to feel settled or committed. They're also picking people that they wouldn't normally date or even like, maybe sort of like giving up on some of their non-negotiables or certain things they don't like. When you are ready, I think you're coming from a place of like, I know who I am. I know what I want. I'm secure in that and I'm able to make the decision and not just looking for someone who likes me just to be with somebody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really tough one, especially when you... I feel like when you immediately are out of a relationship, the first thing that you're looking for is like emotional safety. So you're just going to like go to the first person that texts you all the time or like makes you feel good. And you you gravitate towards who's making me feel good right now, not 
you know, who do I want to make feel good? Like, who do I care about? And so I feel like oftentimes that first person is kind of like the burnt pancake for, you know, lack of a better word. And then like you get to the good stuff, but you never know. I mean, I feel like it depends on how the relationship ended. Like if I think that if you were dumped, if if I were broken up with, it might take me longer to get over it than if I had done the breaking up because I would have like mourned it already in a way. So true. Yeah. I think when we're the ones doing the breaking up, you've thought about it for a while longer and you're kind of like at a different point when it ends versus being surprised. Exactly. My friends are getting engaged left and right, and I could not be happier. Yes, we go to a ton of weddings, but yes, it's all people that I really genuinely care about. And my friend recently got engaged and I've never been so obsessed with a ring. If I didn't have my ring, it's the ring that I would have chosen in a heartbeat. It is like this beautiful honestly, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's like a square ring on a gold band. And it's just so absolutely stunning. And Hannah Florman was who she went to. And Hannah is so good at what she does. If you haven't heard of her, she's a private jeweler based in Boston and she creates stunning diamond engagement rings for clients around the world. I actually know Hannah's husband. We went to school together and I remember when she was like just starting out and just admiring all the pieces that she does and just knowing her as a person. She's such a wonderful, sweet human and she's so thoughtful in the process of making a ring. So you might be thinking like working with a private jeweler means your custom ring is going to take more time or be more expensive than if you went to a bigger brand. But none of that is true. Hannah actually has access to the best quality stones and designs with your exact vision in mind. So in just a few weeks, you have the perfect piece in your hand. She'll work one-on-one with you designing each ring and sourcing the best diamonds on and off the market. She understands clients' personal style and priorities and she will make the experience really easy and enjoyable. So definitely check it out. Check Hannah out. And it's really amazing to work with her. All you have to do is book a complimentary call with Hannah Florman through her website at hannahflorman.com slash contact to get started. Or you can follow her on Insta at Hannah Florman. That's H-A-N-N-A-H-F- L-O-R-M-A-N. Go to hannahflorman.com slash contact or find her on Insta. One of my favorite and longest partners of We Met at Acme is Sakara. And part of the reason that I love working with them, other than the fact that their team is just an absolute delight, is that I actually really stand by Sakara's food. It is so damn good. Like it is really good food made with high quality organic ingredients. It's plant rich and they've got transformational nutritional programs that are 
expertly designed to deliver real results. So whether it's reducing bloating or easing your digestion to clearing your skin and boosting your energy and moods. I swear by their probiotics. I take two every morning and I also love doing their meal plans. Like their breakfasts are amazing. I never feel like I'm deprived of anything. I feel like I have abundance, like such an abundance of amazing food that I can nourish my body with. It's also really great if you just want to feel a little bit lighter in the summer. And I don't even mean like your weight. I just mean what you're feeding your body, like having more energy to just do things. Sakara is a wellness company that's anchored in food as medicine. And it's on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. Right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash Acme and enter code Acme at checkout. That's Sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash Acme to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash Acme. If you've been listening to this podcast and hearing this ad for years and you still haven't tried it, try it today. It's really, really amazing. We wouldn't have been working with them for as many years as we have if we didn't love the company and love what they have to offer. So go to Sakara.com slash Acme to check it out. Okay. So this one, I'm very curious your opinion because I have a strong opinion on this, but I'm curious what you have to say. So this person said, it's been two and a half years and I still feel like I'm not over my ex. Am I just lonely or should I reach out? Oh gosh. This is such a nuanced one. I'm interested to hear your strong opinion because I feel like I'm going to waffle on my answer that... I, I always want to know, like, why do you want to reach out? What are you hoping for? What's the result that you're hoping to get? And often I find people are thinking this way just because somebody else hasn't come along. And so they just have this image of their ex in their head. Does it work out for some people? Sure. But I think a lot of the time it might be coming from a place of like lack rather than actually wanting that person back. I want to hear your opinion. Agreed. I am just so anti get back together with your ex. I've seen it happen and like, quote unquote, work. But they always kind of like wish they had not done that in the end, even if it seems like it's working. And I just feel like in my personal experience, anytime that I tried to make it work with an ex there was almost immediately a realization of the reasons that it didn't work out the first time and the fact that we couldn't get past that once. So, I mean, if we're going to try to get past it again, it's it's nothing more than settling. Mm -hmm. And so really just, you said it really well about like they haven't met someone else yet. So it, it does seem lonely and it does seem... And I feel like that's a huge part of moving on is like having a connection with somebody else. So just because you haven't had that connection yet doesn't mean that you're not going to. I would say keep... Like stay strong because that's that's going to come and you're going to regret it if you if you turn back. Somebody asked... Do I have a low sex drive or am I not attracted to my partner? We're having the same amount of sex, but it feels like a chore now. Hmm. I mean, sex drive definitely goes up and down throughout relationships. It's it's normal. And I would want to ask more questions about like, 
do you feel attracted to them outside of just sex, like other forms of intimacy, even just when you see them, looking at them, talking to them, whatever it is. Also evaluating like your sex drive from, I think, a physical health perspective. Has anything else changed? Like there's certain hormonal things that can be related to a decrease in sex drive and kind of like getting that whole picture before making a decision on that. Mm -hmm. What are other forms of intimacy that you could be attracted to them in? I think you can have intellectual intimacy, emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, of course, like there's all these different ways that you may meet someone and you become more attracted to them as you get to know their personality you discuss similar things, you have the same hobbies that can make you have a better sex life with someone outside of just attraction. I'm sure a lot of people listening have maybe been physical with someone who they didn't like their personality and then they became unattracted to them or vice versa. Yeah. I feel like that intellectual intimacy is a big one, at least for me, like that intellectual stimulation is such a turn on. And and that's a really good point is like to look at different ways you could find your partner attractive. We did a podcast a few weeks ago about like seeing your partner in their element. Mm. Something's just so attractive about that. Like overhearing their work call where they're like, yeah. you know, the boss in that situation or whatever it is. Like that's such like a good way to reignite those, you know, sexual feelings. What would you say is the easiest way to spot toxic traits like when you first start seeing somebody? To me, the biggest red flag is when people's words and actions do not line up. And so you're going to see that in a couple of different areas. You know, if they're telling you they want to see you, but they're never seeing you, if they tell you they're going to call you back and they don't, like, of course, there are moments where people, things happen. But that to me is like, the biggest red flag that you can apply across a variety of situations. Yeah, that's a really good one. That's a really good one. I think also just paying attention to things that give you like a weird visceral reaction to, because I feel like especially as women, like our intuition is so on point. And I remember I was on a third date with someone and they were late. And they were like 15 minutes late. And it it wasn't really about the fact that they were late because like things happen, but it was about how they like reacted to being late that Mm. I really didn't like. But I was like, oh, it's fine. And that could have saved me like probably a year of dating that person if it was just like that one little thing and then like other little things that add up. Somebody asked, they said, receiving real love and affection from other women in this case, this is a guy, gives me anxiety since my ex. What can I do? Sometimes people can form like an anxious attachment or an anxious association with receiving love and affection when they've lost that from someone before, whether it's like a partner or a parent, because it's like, if I get this, then I'm going to have to deal with losing it. And that's painful. So in that situation, I recommend that people like get comfortable with accepting love and affection from other people. And that can come in the form of like even just friends, parents, a therapist that cares about you, a coworker that cares about you and really being able to like 
say thank you, accept words of affirmation, hugs, whatever. And the more exposure that you get to that, the easier that it becomes to believe that you deserve that and also that it's safe within another romantic relationship. And that's something I think that has to be built up over time. Yeah, that's really helpful. This is one that comes up a lot. And I'm curious what you think. Somebody said, how to be happy for an ex in a new relationship when you haven't moved on? Oh, such a hard one. I I was talking about this with a client the other day that I think when our happiness hinges on like someone else being miserable or on their demise, we will never feel good. And so I like to think of it from the place of like, I want to move on. I want to be happy. I want to enjoy my life. And that means that I have to be able to like wish my enemies well sometime or wish people well that hurt me. And you don't have to get over it just because they've moved on. But now you're almost like releasing them from your story and being like, I can just work on healing on my own and on moving on. And this person is going and living their life still very painful but I think it releases us from some of that potential of like, we're going to get back together. Some of that fantasy that doesn't exist anymore. And that reality can be powerful. Yeah. I feel like when you hold on to that resentment and the other person has moved on, or even it seems like they moved on. I mean, you never really know, right? Right. You are the only one like suffering. And so it's almost like you have to be kind to yourself by actually being happy for them and letting that go. And that ultimately like makes you happier in the end. It just seems like the opposite of what you want to do. Mm. How do you help a friend with depression when it feels like they're pulling away? Some people when they're depressed do pull away. And for some people, that's kind of their preference that I think having a conversation of like, even just sending them a text saying, Hey, I know you're not doing well. I can tell like you're kind of pulling away. I'm going to text you and check in with you. If you don't feel like responding, that's okay. But like, just know that I'm here for you. I think sometimes when we're helping people, we like expect a response or some type of like affirmation for that help. And when you're helping someone that's depressed, you have to let go of that a little bit and be like, I'm going to drop off a meal for them. I'm going to text them. I'm going to show up for them. Even if, they can't say thank you or they can't tell me that I'm being helpful. And you can also ask them, like, what can I do for you that would be the most helpful? Like, do you want me to come over and sit with you? Would you rather I text you and leave you alone and really like get to know what that person wants? That's so well articulated. Like if I were depressed and somebody sent me that text, I would be hysterically crying, like <laughs> of like happiness. Like I feel oh, like my good, friend, good, like good. my friend is such a good friend that they're just like, I'm going to text you and you don't have to answer. Like that is exactly what I would want. If Mm -hmm. I were depressed, I would want to know that they were there if I needed them and that they don't need anything from me in return. Like that's truly selfless. And that's something that you really appreciate and that you should do if you're able to, because maybe there'll be a time when you'll be depressed and you'll really want the same thing in return. So I really, really love that. Somebody asked how... Okay, so this is like similar to the seeing your ex with someone else. But this one is how to cope with seeing your toxic ex slash abuser now with somebody else. Mm. 
I think if somebody has been abusive to you, it can probably bring up this feeling of like, I want to save the other person. I want to stop somebody else from, from experiencing that. And I totally get that feeling. I feel like in this moment, we have to be like, we're all adults. Everyone has, you know, agency. They, they clearly know how this person is. And if, and when somebody needs help, you know, they'll ask for it, they'll reach out, but also reminding yourself, like, I'm out of this situation. I'm safe now. And I have to trust whoever gets in a relationship with this person again, to be able to do that for themselves if they want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had a guest come on recently talking about feminine and masculine energy and like polarity, and it was a male guest. So I'm curious what your perspective is on that. And if you think that that's important in a hetero relationship. It's not something I know a ton about. I think based on what I do know, like it probably comes down to just how you want your relationship to function. I think there are certain people in heterosexual relationships that are looking to embody certain roles, you know, whether that's like you want to stay home, you want to work, you want to both be in powerful positions. And I feel like these are conversations to have with a partner, especially before getting married, you know, to see how you want the relationship to go and the roles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. I actually have a question for you that's not on this list, but sure. you said that you've been married for four years. Mm-hmm. What is something that you do to kind of like keep the romance alive in your marriage? I, I've i been married for not even six months. So I am not there just yet, but I still am very curious, you know, in four years time, what marriage is going to look like and like how I can continue the energy that I'm feeling in my marriage now. I think for me, the most important thing has been like scheduling actual time just to be together. I have a child now. And so that's been another challenge of like keeping the romance alive that we have very purposeful time of like scheduling fun dinners, both getting dressed up, going out, like still trying to look your best, going on vacations together and having that time like you would when you're dating instead of just like ordering takeout and being on the couch and watching Netflix, which is great. But if you do that every single day for years, it kind of kills the vibe at some point. Yeah, totally. So just like planning more exciting things. um, What about just like in your day to day, other than like the Netflix on the couch, like are there things that you could do, like bringing something home for them that they really like or things like that? For sure. I, I think we try to like surprise each other. Also, just like mixing up the conversation and like what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Like I notice sometimes people ask like the same question every time they walk in the door or like you're talking about the same stuff at dinner, trying to stay away from just like to-do list conversations and talking about things that are interesting to both of you or like learning about each other's worlds. You talked about like seeing them in their element. I think that's really important and can help keep the spark alive because you're still learning about this person and getting to know them. And that's kind of the fun part about dating that I think is good to keep alive in a marriage. Yeah, it's so true. It's like part of me feels like I'm going to the like, how was your day conversation when they walk in? But then I'm like, 
this is so boring. And then sometimes <laughs> when we're like at on a double date, like someone will bring up like, let's say a current event and like both my husband and I will say how we feel about that current event. But I'll think to myself like, we didn't talk about this, the two of us. Like, why are we sitting here talking about our day yeah. <laughs> when we could be giving our opinion on something that's like really actually interesting? So I think that's a really good point. It's just like switch up the conversation. Yeah. How do you deal with friends like comparing timelines, especially when you're newly married and have kids or don't have kids, like those conversations? Don't have a house, have a house. I feel like taking the approach of like, my timeline is my timeline and I'm going to be excited for my friends where they're at and not take it as like, it means something about me can be so powerful. So like if your friend gets a house, it doesn't mean that you should have a house or that you're worse for not having one. It's just exciting that they have a house and trying to really like keep yourself in more of that like cheerleader role, I think can be helpful. But of course you're going to engage in comparison from time to time and feel like there's something wrong with you. And I think coming back to this idea of like, I get to set the timeline. I get to decide when I want to do things in life. And like, there is no script. It's all made up when we have to do all these things. Mm -hmm. What if like you are trying to do something like, let's say you're trying to get pregnant and you keep having miscarriages or you are trying to set the timeline, but it's not working out the way that you want it to. Yeah. That's those moments where I feel like that radical acceptance is so powerful of like, this isn't where I want to be right now. I wish I was pregnant. I wish I was married and I can validate that and it sucks and it hurts. And I'm doing everything I can to make that happen. And I am going, you know, to find a way to make that happen in my life. And if it doesn't, I will be okay. And this is how I know I'll be okay. And kind of making space for what sucks right now and also where your power is and what you can do about it. Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of toxic positivity around that subject too, which is interesting. Like I have a friend who's been trying to get pregnant for a while and like she'll go to different doctors and gynecologists and fertility specialists. And they'll be like, you're going to be fine. Like you're going to get pregnant. And it's like, that seems like it's like the same thing as we were talking about with relationships. It's like, yeah, that's positive, but like, it's so not validating of their concern because like when you are in that state, you get served these stories left and right of like, oh, there was this person and she got pregnant on her wedding night or there was this person and she thought she was never going to have a baby and she did. Or there was this person who everything was totally fine and all the doctors said everything's going to be fine, but then she didn't get pregnant for four years trying naturally. You know, it's like you just get served these stories left and right. And so like, how do you kind of, I guess, ask for what you want in the case of like, doctors telling you positive things. Yeah. It's so true that those people get it handed to them 24 seven. And I think the most powerful thing you can say is like, I know you're trying to help me and that's not helpful right now. I would really appreciate if you did X and it can be tough with doctors. Sometimes I think they don't really like to listen from time to time, Mm -hmm. but hopefully you have one that is like, okay, you're right. And, and really thinks about it. And if they don't, I would suggest getting another doctor if you can, because you really need somebody on your team. I think, especially when it comes to fertility and pregnancy that 
can speak to you in a way that is empowering, but also realistic. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Like, I feel like doctors default is to be like, you're fine. And then like, you have to go on Google just to find out like these, like just to like validate your crazy stories. But I, I do feel like that's also like a part of their job is like to like diffuse the situation first Mm -hmm. and foremost. Somebody asked, my significant other of a year said that he's focused on big things and the future for us, but they say they're not good at little things because of this. I would like little things too sometimes. Is it okay to ask for this or just to be happy? I'm not sure what she's referring to when she says little things, but... In any relationship, like you have a choice basically between speaking up or tolerating the status quo. And sometimes you might say, oh, I don't want to speak up. I'm okay with this. Like we all make concessions in relationships. But in this case, I would say like, if there's something you want, you have to ask for it. And sometimes our partners don't know what you mean by little things or by words of affirmation. It looks different for all of us that I would encourage people or this person to really express what that is and explain it and give the person a chance to show that before just saying, ah, oh, I'm just going to live without it and then becoming resentful probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody asked how you deal with a partner who is grieving their ex of four years. I don't know if this means grieving like a death or just grieving like a relationship, but I guess yeah. for both situations. I think two very different situations. If you're in a relationship with someone that is still getting over someone else, that's really tough. And I would want to know, like, are you okay with being in that position? And sort of like, where is this relationship going? If the person kind of has one foot in and one foot out, Mm -hmm. if there's been a death, I, I think that's different, but also thinking about, is this person ready to be in a relationship? Are you okay with being in a relationship with someone that's still very much in that grieving process and can you be with them in it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like in that situation, you very much have to like hold space for the person that they lost and not try to replace them, but instead kind of like incorporate them Mm -hmm. into your new life because it's kind of a different acceptance of like accepting that they would be with that person if they were around. But that doesn't mean that like they don't want to be with you necessarily. I don't know. That's that's a tough one. And then last question, and then we're going to do some rapid fire poll questions. How do you accept being blindsided in a breakup? This is so interesting because I don't think there's ever really blindsiding breakups, but I'm Mm. curious what you think. I think the acceptance with this is the same with anything else. You have to look at like, okay... I felt like this came out of nowhere. I feel surprised. I don't like this feeling. And this is what's happening. This is my reality. This is what's going on. And I feel like you can spend all day going back over all the details, but the reality is still there that the relationship has ended. And so figuring out how you can get yourself to a place of acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. I think what I was saying before, it's like, I I don't think that maybe it's blindsiding in a moment, but then you always kind of look back and you're like, oh, there were these signs or there were these things I overlooked or it was weird that they didn't, you know, say thank you to my parents after the trip or whatever it is. It's just, 
it, it can, but it can seem blindsided, and I will validate that. And like uh, now, I'm being toxically positive. I'm like, it's never. <laughs> no, um, no, I don't think so. I feel like you're right. People probably do go back, and and hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Yeah, it's true. Okay, some rapid fire poll questions. So these are mostly yes or no. Yeah. Is it normal if in a relationship for your significant other to have one-on-one dinner dates with their friends of desired gender? Oh, these are going to be so hard for me as a therapist to answer yes or no. <laughs> I, I think it really just depends on what you're comfortable with in your relationship. Mm-hmm. I think it is, but it depends on the friendship. Like you should know this person right? for sure. It shouldn't be just like a new random people. So if for, since you found the one... Did you date people in the past that you thought were the one at the time? Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. Is it a red flag or a green flag if they tell you they're in love with you after only two months? Two months, I think, is is okay. Like two dates, two weeks, I think would be a red flag. Yeah. But also, I feel like what's so important here is like just because they said it after two months doesn't mean you have to say it right mm-hmm. away back. You should say it when you're ready. Are there days that you'd rather just cuddle than have sex with your significant other? Yes or no? Yes, for sure. (laughs) So to follow up, is it a red flag if you'd rather cuddle? No, I don't Mm -hmm. think so. I mean, if it's all the time like that, that may be something to think about. But occasionally, no. In a relationship, is it easier if both partners are equally ambitious and dedicated to their career or if one is slightly less ambitious and they balance each other out? I think both can work. Mm Mm-hmm. I guess it depends like what turns everybody on in the situation. Would it be a red flag, a deal breaker or no big deal if your husband still worked with their ex and therefore hung out with them in group settings? For me, I think it'd be no big deal to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can it work with someone who ghosted you previously, but then sent a heartfelt apology? Yes or no? It would depend on their intentions. Maybe. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. I would say like they're probably sitting with their therapist, like trying to right their wrongs or something. (laughs) I love it. Wit, can you leave us with a quote or piece of advice, something that has helped you throughout the years? Right now, I am focused on living a good enough life, being like a C student in areas where things don't matter. And that's like my ultimate mantra that I like to give to people. Is just like be good enough. Yeah. Be really good in the areas that you need to be really good in. And then the other areas, it's okay to let it slide sometimes. Yeah. You can't get an A in every subject all the time. Exactly. Love that. Where can everybody find you, follow you, and possibly work with you if you're accepting clients? Yeah. You can find me on social media, Instagram, et cetera, at sitwithwit. I work with individual adult clients in the state of Florida virtually. And you can find everything on my website, sitwithwit.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Vet. Thank you. 